You are now listening to the Blue Collar Unplugged Podcast. Sexton gets it. Three seconds. Two. Sexton at one. For win. It's good! It's good! It's good! Your home for all things Alabama basketball. Now, here are your hosts, Blake Byler. Animals are like, I don't know if that like, like resonates <laughs> with you, but like you always see tigers in like, like on pictures and like on TV, but when you like see a tiger in front of you, it's like, what am I looking at? Matthew Gibson. You had Alabama fans selling their on-court seats to Auburn fans for the biggest game in God knows how long. And Jacob Pickle. At some point, somebody's got to take a stand. It's like, hey, man, the Capitol's that way. Chill out. (laughs) No! Stop it! Enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome in to the Blue Collar Unplugged Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 6. Uh, I am your host, Blake Byler, joined as always by Matthew Gibson and Jacob Pickle. We're here to talk a little bit of Alabama basketball as the season is getting close to starting. Uh, but today we have a very special guest. We are joined by ESPN uh, college basketball analyst Seth Greenberg. Um, and Seth was able to be at the Alabama uh, Wake Forest charity exhibition this past weekend. So I guess we can go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, Seth, what did you kind of see from... Um, that exhibition, what stuck out to you, um, just kind of all those things. Just tell us about um, what went on and what you saw. There's three of you guys there. I'm not that interested. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, this is unbelievable. Uh, but, uh, you know, first of all, I thought it was a great event. I mean, the, the whole idea of obviously bringing uh, awareness to stroke the stroke issues that, that obviously Coach uh, Forbes' wife is going through is uh, I thought it was great that Nate – brought his team down and uh, and did that. Because, uh, look, let's face it, hey, that's the only time they're going to fly commercial, I can tell you that much. And uh, they came down and, and played that game. I thought it was great for both teams, first of all. It's, uh, you're talking about two teams that are older, more mature in terms of a Wake Forest team. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, Hildreth was an absolute beast. I mean, his physicality, his toughness, his maturity was on display. Hunter Silas for for Wake was kind of a, to me, a little bit of a surprise because I saw him at, at Gonzaga and he didn't do as much. And those two guys were terrific. But in terms of Alabama, uh, it was a fact-finding mission. I mean, this is a new basketball team. This is a team that obviously even the guys that are returning have different roles. Not having Sears available was huge because he for sure understands who they are and how they win. And, you know, he was kind of the guy that, I think Coach Oates was relying on or is relying on to be the heart and soul of this basketball team in terms of an extension of the coaching staff. I think you got to have one player that is literally in line with coaching staff. Sears played a lot of minutes. Obviously, he has maturity. Uh, he played on a terrific team, but his role has changed. But without him, it gave a great opportunity for Aaron Strata to kind of step up and, and have the ball in his hands a little bit more and learn you know, in the line of fire. I mean, I think that was real, that the positive on that was that Estrada had, was terrific in the first half, not as good in the second half. Uh, he's got to understand advantage, disadvantage. He's got to understand spacing, when to attack, when to give it up, when to make get other guys involved. But I thought it was really valuable for him. Uh, I thought that, you know, Sam Walters, uh, to me, uh, another guy that was 
interesting. And we, you know, I, you knew about Grant Nelson, his skill set, his size, his versatility, uh, what he brings to the table. You know, old Sam, now, you know, he wasn't as hyped up coming in. I mean, he was a guy that was, I call a suspect, a guy that maybe could contribute. He played with no fear. Uh, obviously, a volume shooter, a guy with deep range, a quick, quick release. I was uh, sitting with one of the scouts from Milwaukee Bucks. And I think the two things that jumped out for me on him is, yeah, you know, he can shoot it. He can get himself ready. He gets behind the ball. He releases it quick. He had a couple of back downs off of ball reversals and ISOs where he would bang. He would bang and create space. Uh, got to improve defensively. Got to stick his nose in and help rebound the ball. Uh, but I thought he was, he was, he was a bright spot for sure. Grant Nelson, uh, you know, to me, his floor game for his size, his length, his athleticism, uh, his ability to, you know, they ran a couple of inside screens for him with Pringle, and he just turned the corner and got to the rim, which, you know, the one thing about Nate, he's so creative offensively in terms of creating mismatches, creating spacing. Uh, I, I was really impressed with him. Didn't shoot great in the second half. Defensively, in the second half, they lost their focus. So, you know, when you don't score, you can't get into the pressure. When they got into the pressure, they scored some easy buckets. But uh, Grant Nelson is a, a tough matchup. If he shoots it consistently from the three, when they play him at five especially, uh, he becomes a real problem in transition, off-ball screen action, off-ball rever ball reversals, uh, you know, as a playmaker as well, which I think is, is interesting. Uh, I thought he was – I thought he was – you know, he was kind of what I expected of him. Uh, again, another guy that's got to rebound the ball. Uh, the kid that was a little bit of a – a disappointment for me was Stevenson. Uh, he didn't get a ton of run. Uh, took one quick bad shot, I think, and kind of cut, caught Coach Eric's attention. Uh, I think probably Moore didn't get a ton of run because he's not doing the other things that impact winning. You know, I know what the name of your podcast is. You, like, you know, if you, you don't compete and you don't play hard, you're not playing. And they're going to chart right. that. And they're going to expose that. Mm -hmm. And it was a great, basically, dress rehearsal to give Stevenson an understanding, Jaron, like, here's the deal. These are things we're expected of you. And if you want to have an impact on our team, these are non-negotiables. These are our core beliefs and these are non-negotiables. You've got to buy into these things if you're going to have an impact, despite all your talent, all your potential. You know, uh, I'm not saying I don't know him, but I know that you know, Eubie Brown used to have a great quote, the dog's barking, the caravan moves on. Like, you've got to, you know, no one is more important than the good of the group. And I think he'll learn that. So I thought it was great. I had, a, you know, I thought it was great. I had great seats. I had the owner of the Hawks seats right at center court. I had a good chance to listen to Coach Forbes do his deal during the course of the game. I think both coaches got a lot out of it. So, uh, you know, and it was a great cause. And they raised money for a lot of good, a lot of good things. When you, you've been around uh, these charity exhibitions before how much stock do you put into wins and losses and how that goes do you, do they mean nothing do they mean a little bit because obviously there there have been some other ones i see you holding up a zero <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey blake these are fact finding missions i mean like you know you're, you're coaching and you're giving different guys you're looking at different combinations it's october yeah. it's not where you are now it's where you're going it's not where mm -hmm. a team is in terms of you know, people get so caught up in these you know, secret scrimmages. First of all, I don't understand secret scrimmages because, first of all, they're not secret. Number two, if you can play exhibition <laughs> games and talk about them, why can't you talk about a scrimmage? Now, think about that. We're playing the exhibition game. You know, Illinois, Kansas was on TV. Oh, that's fine. 
But if you play a scrimmage, if you play a scrimmage, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, stupidity. Yep. I mean, like I'm not an NCAA basher, but that was that that is one of the literally most ridiculous things in the world. What what they are is um, there's a couple things. Look, I coached for 33 years, and we used to scrimmage when I was at Virginia Tech. We used to scrimmage Georgetown once because I wanted to check basically challenged my defensive principles playing against the Princeton stuff. And then we played a team that pressed and ran. And I used those two scrimmages to get a better understanding of where we were in terms of our defensive discipline. And then for the teams that pressed and, and got up into us, how hard we competed, not only off defensively, but offensively against teams that will try to take you out a little bit. So, I mean, like, you know, both of these teams, they, they learned a lot. I mean, uh, Alabama played against a physical team. Uh, Andrew Carr is a fourth-year guy. I mean, you, you, you're talking about Hildreth and his international experience. Hunter Silas played at Gonzaga, long and athletic, really good guard play, run a lot of uh, good actions, more conceptual offensive actions that Wake Forest runs. So basically you can't side him as easily. You know, it's easy when you're, you're getting league play and you have an understanding of who a team is and how they win and, what they're going to run in certain situations, what they're going to do out of coming out of timeouts. You can decide what you're going to give them, what you're going to take away. You play in one of these deals where you really don't have them scouted maybe the same way or it's the first time you're going to see this type of team, uh, you've got to cite things. Defensively, you've got to be more alert. Uh, I think that Nate learned a little bit on his ball screen defense. He learned a little bit of his weak side defense. He learned a little bit about some of his defensive discipline. Offensively, he probably learned you know, times the ball got stuck. Uh, they stopped running the way you need to run. You know, if you're going to run, I mean, you can't stop at the hash mark. You can't stop Falcon. So you got to run for layups. You know, you've got to get stopped so you can run. Uh, you know, they they shot a lot of first side shots as opposed to getting a set and pay touch and moving the defense. So, you know, to me, it's it, it's really it's real simple. It's not where you are in October. I mean, they're going to be roadblocks and detours during the course of the season. It's how you handle those roadblocks and detours right now in October. Uh, you're really just getting it a feel for your, not your identity, but uh, a feel for your team. Where do guys want to catch the ball? Where are they most successful? Uh, where are they hardest to guard? What combinations do I want against certain types of, of lineups? Uh, you know, redefining playing hard for young players. Uh, like the one guy I was disappointed, and I'm a huge fan of Ryland Griffin. I'm a huge fan of his. I thought he deferred a lot. I thought he deferred. I, I thought that I thought he'd be more assertive. I looked at him last year. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a guy that had a chance to be, you know, I think he has a chance to be a pro. He's got you know positional size. He can defend. He's athletic. I thought I thought that he was not as active and engaged, uh, whether it was running the court, catching a ball in transition, looking to make plays. Uh I thought he put himself in a small box. Uh, I thought that was one of the things. Uh, uh, the kid from Fullerton, you, know, you saw his mm-hmm. strength and his ability to make shots. That, you know, Again, this is a big transition. I coached in the Big West. I was at Long Beach State. That's when UNLV had Larry Johnson and all those great teams. Uh, you know, I thought that he's, he, he's obviously wired to score, but there's more to the game. And uh, I thought he showed some good moments. He got caught up in a mismatch on a back down, and I thought he bowed up pretty good on Hildreth a couple of times and on Salas a couple of times. But, uh, look, they've got good pieces. It's going to take time. It's not as easy as it looks on TV for all these young guys, but they're going to be fine. 
Coach, this is no, you other guys can ask a question. Oh yeah, this is this is a rebuilt Alabama basketball team now. From three assistant coaches leaving, Antoine Fetway, Charlie Henry, Brian Hodgson, and then your front court's time is Brandon Miller, Noah Clowney, Charles Bedioka are gone. Javon Quinterly transfers to Memphis, but you go into the portal. You add guys like Latrell Wrightsell. You add guys like Grant Nelson, Aaron Estrada. What is your synopsis for this Alabama basketball team? How do you think they stack up against other SEC competitors like Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and any of those other schools? Well, yeah, like Arkansas and Alabama are a little bit in the same deal is that they, you know, they went to the portal. I mean, Kevin, uh, I mean, uh, Eric Musselman is kind of a master at that because of his experience coaching, quote unquote, semi-pro basketball, G League, you know, CBA, you know, you name a league, he's coached in it. I think he's really, really kind of figured out to find that mix between uh, the transfer portal and freshmen, staying old, having mature guys, figuring them out quick. Uh but Alabama's right in that mix. I mean, you know, look, I mean, they're, they're, look, you put Sears on the court and, and they're a different team. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, his maturity, his understanding, you need those veteran players. Kentucky's a really young basketball team. It'll depend on if they get Bradshaw back. Obviously, Trey Mitchell was a huge get, an absolute huge get. Getting Antonio Reeves back was huge. Uh, but, you know, very similar. Again, uh, just a young team. So, and the league is great. The one thing about the the SEC, uh, the SEC has leapfrogged a lot of conferences. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just the way it is. Uh, if you look at the top 100 players in the country, if you like, if you eliminate Duke from the top 100 players in the country, right? That league's averaging about four and a half players out of the top 100 the ACC. Right now, the SEC over the last four years is averaging 15, 15 top wow. 100 players. I mean. So recruiting is at a high level, the depth, mm-hmm. the coaching, the commitment, like we look, SEC just means more. Uh, it's more than basketball. Though. It's gymnastic. It's women's basketball. It's football. It's baseball. I mean, they've really, really invested in, in, in their basketball programs, whether it's facilities, whether it's hiring coaches, whether it's making commitments now, obviously with commitment to, to the, uh, collectives. So, uh, the SEC basketball uh, games are games or events. And, and the other thing is the SEC, and it's been interesting, the SEC, the Big 12, and the Big 10, they've gotten really old because they've done a good job with the COVID transfers. They've done a good job with the portal. Like you take a team like Mississippi State, they're going to start, I think, three grad transfers when when Smith gets back, two, three senior grad transfers, so 50, and, and two pure seniors. I'm like, you're seeing rosters. They're assigned four and five seniors because the transfer portal right now is the new one and done. Yep. I mean, that's really what it is. The transfer portal mm-hmm. is the new one and done. So teams can get old. And I do think that some guys make mistakes, especially the mid-major or even the, the low-high major. They're passing on high school guys to get into the, to the portal, uh, and we lose track of, of player development and, and developing culture and identity and buy-in and continuity. But then there are some teams that can create that continuity by just going right back into the portal. Which you have access to your team in the summer, so you can get those guys in early. you got access to your team in the fall, so you can kind of build a little bit of a foundation. But uh, league's terrific. I, I, I look at Alabama, you know, do they have a dominant inside presence? Do they have a dominant rim protector? No. Pringle's got to be better. You just got to be better. Uh, but do they have – 
skilled players? Do they have a style play that's hard to play against? Will they have good guard play? Will they have matchup problems? Uh, yeah, all those things. They're going to have to defend with more of a sense of urgency. Like first half, I think they scored, they scored 57 or 61 points. I mean, it was so it was easy. And that's great it was easy. But when the game got hard, that's where Nate is going to learn a lot about that team from that exhibition game. So he can show the first half, hey, this is regarded with a sense of urgency. We scored, we got in the pressure, we got deflections, we pushed them out, we took them out of rhythm. Then when we didn't score, and this happened, this is just, again, an inexperienced team that hasn't been together. When you don't score it, and now you've got to, you're not feeding off of that enthusiasm of scoring it, mm-hmm. then you've got to make a commitment to get stops so you can get some easy baskets, get deflectors, get out in transition, get a rebound. And what happened was when they struggled scoring it, it really impacted their defensive intensity. Now, obviously, you know, it's harder because you're not setting your defense, but sometimes you got to just bow your neck and sit in a stance and be disciplined defensively and keep the ball in front and contest a shot and, and keep people out of the lane. And, and they didn't do that when they struggled scoring. I mean, they, I think they had 20-something points until the very end in the second mm-hmm. half. Yeah. You know, so when you're not scoring, what are you going to do? you got to get stops. you got to rebound the ball on the defensive end. So I think those, those are the – it'll be easy for Nate. They do such a great job uh, with analytics, and they do such a great job with tape. I've sat in on a bunch of their tape sessions when I come watch them practice of showing the difference in teaching and holding guys accountable for this is Alabama basketball. This is unacceptable. And, again, in October, that's, that's great because – it's not where you, you know, I'll say it again, like teams, team, the season's a journey, not a destination. So like mm-hmm. there's going to be an ebb and flow of your season. Yeah. Like you're going to have a time in the middle of your league season where you might have road, road, home against a tough opponent road. And you might play three or four in road and might get smacked. How are you mm-hmm. going to handle that? Like, are you going to continue to get better? Yeah. You know, so the best teams continue to get better when they face adversity. I wouldn't call this adversity. I would call call this a, a good learning experience that, that I would not, as a coach, you want to react to it. As fans, you guys probably, oh my God, they lost to Wake Forest. Lake Forest is picked, you know, seven. Oh man, they, what the hell's going on? And, you know, I don't know what, what you know, oats, what the, no, no, like, no, no. That's like saying Saban's struggling. So you kind of touched on it a little bit with uh, talking about how the portal and uh, that, how that's affected recruiting and otherwise. Uh, what is that? Maybe get insight to kind of what the dynamics that Coach Oates is having to adjust to as well as, you know, in years past, we've kind of seen teams um, under Oates take a little bit to kind of understand the defensive liabilities and responsibilities. So how do you think, uh, you know, combining that with a really tough non-conference schedule, it's kind of in the heart of that. Uh, I guess maybe talk through some of the rationale from a coach's perspective of, why you do all those things whenever it seems like, you know, at this point you just want to get some layout points and experience. Yeah, because you got one, you got to be able to raise your temperature and prepare yourself for a league play. Number two is, uh, you know, television. You want to play in good events, you want to play against good teams. You know, you're not, you know, here's the deal. You know, Alabama, first of all, when they're good defensively, they're really good. All right. They weren't mm-hmm. as good defensively, quite honestly, last year. That's just the truth, even though they're overall number one seed. When they're good defensively, I mean, like, Nate gets a lot of hype for what their style of play offensively, but like really, if you sit and listen to them and sit in film sessions, 
the attention to detail defensively is kind of what makes a difference. So, like, what is defense about? Defense about effort. Defense about trust. All right. Well, it takes time to develop that trust. Uh, defensively is about is uh, is about conceptually. How are we going to pressure the ball? Where are we going to force the ball? How are we going to guard ball screens? What are we going to do to post doubles? Uh, how you know? And then it, it it challenges your toughness. Are you going to be easy to screen? Are you going to be a piece like Velcro, or are you going to be a guy that's going to see plays early defensively? Like offensively, great point guard, see plays early. Defensively, when I call sighting, you use sight a play before it happens. So therefore, it's early help. It's early recovery. You get to the good spot so you can, you know, maybe take away a passing lane. You play with your arms out so you sh- you make the court smaller. So all those things are being addressed on a daily basis. You're playing a good schedule because you got to find out who you are. They're going to win games. They're going to be an NCAA tournament team, and you got to challenge yourself. I mean, that's just, you know, you're playing in the SEC, man. Everyone who's – let me ask you this. What really good team that has a high aspiration is not playing a good schedule? All right. Hard, hard you, want to look, you want to look at yeah. Connecticut's schedule? Yeah. All right, Connecticut schedules like you know going to Kansas, going to Gonzaga, North Carolina, uh, you know uh, Indiana. I mean, it's crazy. Kentucky, you know. I mean, I mean all those people play good schedules. Very few guys don't play pretty good. Too. Now look, you're gonna have some rocket chair games. I'll tell you when it's gonna change. When you have eight thousand teams in the SEC and you're playing twenty and twenty-two games, and then you play in an exempt event. All right, so that gets you to say twenty-five, and you play one challenge game that gets you twenty-six. You know, every team he has to see. I mean, you're, look who you're adding. Yeah, right. Right. There are no yeah. rocking chair games in those games. <laughs> yeah, no, no games. You're gonna roll them out. All right. Yeah, there we go. Now look at the coaches in the league. Then you're gonna see teams pick up four games that are gonna be guaranteed games. I mean, yeah, you get one. You need home games. Budget terribly. You need both home games. But yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I, I got the schedule here. Let me let me see how tough it is here. I got it here. You guys probably know better than I do. All right. <laughs> Moorhead State, Indiana State, South Alabama. Wait a second here. You're telling me they're killing themselves. Hell, the first four games are like rocket chair games. I mean, they're all good teams. Moorhead State, obviously, very, very well coached. Preston does a great job. Indiana State's playing well. South Alabama's got guys back. Mercer. All right, then you get real. All right, Ohio State. All right, here we go. Oregon or Santa Clara. Santa Clara's really, really well coached. Oregon's talented. Clemson's got P.J. Uh, Hall and uh, Chase Hunter, who who I think will be a, a very good backcourt. Then you got Arkansas State, and then you got Purdue and Creighton. Yeah, and Arizona, that's good. Then you got Eastern Car- Eastern Kentucky and Liberty, which who challenge your defensive principle. So you're kind of easing into the season until you get to Ohio State on yeah. the twenty. You know, anyone can beat you. Like here's the deal: anyone can beat you. But right. you got almost a full month before there's a game where it's a Power Five, Power Five expectation, like hey. Let's see where we're at. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but any like Indiana State's really, really well. All those teams are well coached. Like, here, here's the deal. You got right now, you got to be ready to play. You got you got to play well to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that people don't understand. You got to play well. I mean, St. John's, we were we were at St. John's last week doing sports center from St. John's, interviewing Rick Patino, yeah. coming back. All right. They lost the pace in an exhibition game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, they lost the pace. I mean, Louisville yesterday lost to, to like Kentucky Wesleyan. Yeah. Kentucky Wesleyan. No, Kentucky Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, does it mean anything? I remember one year Syracuse lost to LeMoyne in the exhibition game, went to the Final Four. 
They'll save it. Even so, last I mean, year, Alabama lost to TCU by like 30. You got to have everyday guys. And you got to play against your potential. And that's the great thing about Nate. That's why all his analytics are good, because basically the analytics are basically saying you're playing against your potential. And that's why, it, so that there's an accountability. Look, he's got core beliefs and non-negotiables. He's going to hold those guys to those things. They got an identity, and they got a really good culture. So, but does it happen like this? This is not a quicker, you know, like phone where or, or computer. Like it just, like shit, just doesn't happen. Like it takes time for stuff to happen. They decide for trust, and and you're redefining playing hard at North Dakota State. Nothing against North Dakota State, but you know. Right. And playing hard in the SEC or what, what? Probably two different things. Probably two different things. So, it just takes time. It really does. Absolutely, and I, I think that's you know, and like you speak about the the rocking chair games for the first four or five. I think that's uh, it hopefully intentional and gives it the, the time to kind of gel together and um, establish those defensive principles and everything like that. Uh, Let's say kind of looking forward to the spring towards the end of SEC play. You know, I, I thought you know, I'm I'm the student section president for Alabama, so I was hoping last year when I was speaking. What's the name of the student section? My all right. Uh, Crimson what Chaos. Is what is it? Crimson Chaos. Crimson Chaos. All right. I like yes, sir. It. Absolutely. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. Uh, we you know thinking about college. Virginia game Tech. Day. We had the Castle Guard. Oh, that's awesome. Those guys pizza. I like that. I, I that's cool. I mean, I take care of it. So tell Oates to dig into his pocket and take care of you. Guys. I'm making <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll relay that his way. Uh, you know, thinking maybe college game day, I'm hoping to maybe see you guys down here in Tuscaloosa. And there's two March games, Arkansas and Tennessee at the end. Well, here's the deal. If one of those games is the same day Duke Carolina's playing, we ain't got it. No chance. No. <laughs> I'm just going to let you know in advance. Yeah. I bitch and moan and complain and say, yeah, but we ain't coming. That's, I, I understand it. I understand it. That's a that's sacred. But, uh, but the other one, you never know. I mean, both of them. Tennessee, I, I, I saw Tennessee practice the other day. And, I mean, they did. I mean, they beat. They beat Michigan State at Michigan State in an exhibition game. That was that without Vescovi or Vescovi or Vescovi, depending on the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, without Zakai, uh, but they are really, really deep, uh, really deep. Obviously, they always play hard. Like I said, the league is so, so good. And the other thing is, you know, but everyone talks about the football thing. Like every game i mean it's it's rocking like i'm just telling you and I, you know like there and there are no easy games like you know chris beard's gonna do a monster job at Ole miss mississippi state mm-hmm. is really good i mean like really good if they get if they get uh total back healthy i mean that's a grown man team uh so you got to play well but hey i'd like i think it'd be fun obviously you know game days there at uh Tuscaloosa this weekend. You know, go speak to Reese Davis. Bring him a pocket square. Maybe he'll you know put a good word for you. Guys. I, that's I, I think the pocket square might win him over. That's a good idea. I might yeah, have to. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, he's an Alabama grad. I mean, like, right. you know, tell me, you know, yeah. I mean, come on, let's go. Are you guys all students? Yes, sir. We are. Yes, you are. So I got a question. Why not the hard hats for the, like the uh, the section? Then you could like, cross brand. You know, like. You know, like you know, yeah. Does anyone watch this thing? Is anyone going to watch this? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I like the confidence. <laughs> uh, I think 
so moving kind of away from this season and just kind of looking um, at Alabama as a whole, kind of since Nate Oates has gotten there, how do you kind of contextualize the job that he has done uh, with the Alabama program since he took over in, I think it was the spring of 2019, and kind of what he's taken them from? Because obviously Alabama wasn't like in the lower tier bottom dweller of the SEC, but they were kind of perennially mediocre, I would say. Um, so how do you kind of contextualize the job that he's done? Contextualize the job. That's like a senior word. What do you you must be half a class? That's a yes, good sir. word. There was a guy named Wim Sanderson, fellas. All right. He was pretty yes. good. He had dudes and they won a lot of games and they were really good and like really good. Uh so like Alabama has a history. Alabama's put a lot of dudes in the league. Alabama, um look, it's a great, it's a great university it's uh there's a ton of players in the state nate's recruited nationally he's he's got a style of play uh he's taken all their resources they, they've improved the practice facility i know they're talking about maybe building a new arena or or working on the current arena uh, like alabama's a big time job uh you know look the branding of alabama just the university you know the success of the football obviously helps the basketball actually because if you can recruit 80 football players and compete for national championships every year, you can find yourself 12 basketball players. You've got to get past the stigma of a football school. It is a football school. You know, it's like the Kentucky thing. Is it a football school or a basketball school? Well, Alabama's a football school. That doesn't mean you can't have a great basketball program. Like, no, it's always going to be a football school. That's why they built statues of a guy named Saban. Like, you know, I mean, like, it's just the way Kentucky is. It doesn't mean I can't have a great football program. All right? It's just the way it is. Uh, across the board athletic programs are what is is happening now because because of the money in the power conferences uh because of the tv money the sec network and 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 everything that goes along with it the, you know investment equals your expectation all of a sudden now all these schools have revenue streams to reinvest in coaches and facilities and and collectives and all those things nate's done a great job he's done a great job and he plays a style of basketball guys like to play so recruiting obviously is on an uptick he, he's not afraid of anything. He's got a confidence. Some people might call it an arrogance uh, that, you know, we're not going to back down anyone. And you have to have that when you're at one of those schools. Look, at Virginia Tech, people thought I was smug. I wasn't smug, but you know what? We weren't, we weren't there to be an opponent. We were there to beat North Carolina, beat Duke, which we were able to do some. Nate's mindset is to try to win a national championship. Alabama produces national championship caliber teams. Uh, you know, it's a world-class research university. So, I mean, all the resources are there to do great things. Because you've got a ton of players in that geographic footprint. And that's a big thing. Can you recruit your geographic footprint? And they've been able to do that and more. Obviously, the goal um, is to win games, win championships, get to uh, get deep in the tournament. Alabama has you you know never been to a final four um that definitely hangs over the heads of alabama fans because team across the state their biggest rival auburn got to their first final four a couple of years ago and so um that's definitely a point of like is alabama ever going to get to that hump they've been to the sweet 16 i think 10 times and only won one game i think they're one and nine in the sweet 16 uh have a lot of history of not being able to get over that hump in the tournament um do you see that 
Do you think Alabama is capable of getting over that hump with Nate Oates as their head coach? Do you see a potential Final Four national championship caliber team uh, and that being possible in their future? Blake, my boy, my boy. There was a time when people said that Jay Wright couldn't win a big game. Yeah. Yeah. Last time I checked, he has two. Right. Like, never say never, never say always. That's my wisdom for you guys. Like, mm-hmm. if, you, if you learn that one thing today, we've had a successful conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Like, it's hard. Like, Tony Bennett, he won last championship. He was also been knocked out in the first round twice. It's hard. The other guy's trying to win also. Matchups, really important. Being healthy at the end of the year. Eliminating the static that surrounds your team at the end of the year. Guys coming, they're going. What's their agent saying? You know, what, you know all the things that surround players today. It's hard. Uh, but, yeah, resources, talented coach, going to have good players, uh, going to be tested throughout the course of the season because of the, of the SEC. Yeah. Everything's in place. It's just hard to get there. It's hard to get there. Think about yep. Purdue. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on now. Harvard on the Hackensack. My alma mater smacked them around last year. 16 feet. St. Pete's. Kentucky loses to St. Pete. All right? I mean, it's hard. John Calipari went to a ton of Final Fours, and you know what? They've hit some roadblocks. Yep. You know, they're bucketing a... What's it called? Uh, North Carolina. The May kid knocks down that big shot. That cost them the Final Four. Uh, you know, uh, they've lost games that, you know, they, they, they were right in position to have a chance to win. It's really, really hard. So you got you to be good at the right time. Uh, you've got to control your controllables. You, you've got to deal with the pressure, especially when there's an expectation. Uh, so there are a lot of things. Matchup is important. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult. It really, really is. But, I mean, NATO's a terrific coach. Uh, they're going to recruit at a high level. They play a style of play that that travels when they're defending. When they're defending. And they're, and they're doing the right thing. I'll give you guys a stat. You can throw it around and you're going to look smart. Last year, 41% of the baskets scored in college basketball scored by transfers. Really? See, I told you you were going to look smart. <laughs> All right? I'll give you another thing. Uh, the last four or five years, I think it is. Look at the final four teams. They're old. Old. They're not relying on freshmen. Last four years. Name me the last freshman that had an impact on the final four. And then finally, you better not have many last back. year. That's for sure. You, you better have some pros in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, there's walk around campus, smack you know, tell people that. God damn, Blake is smart. <laughs> You know, this has been awesome just being able to have you come on to our podcast and be able to talk a little bit about Alabama basketball, but we know you're busy and we really appreciate your time. Do you have any final thoughts or comments for us? No, you know, it's great that, you, you know, like as students, it's great you guys have ownership. I think it's really good. I mean, uh, it, it's something that, you know, you should have fun with this. And, you know, just I, I would ask you one thing. The season, like, is long. It's mm-hmm. hard. And, they, you know, like, be, uh, be a great fan. Fans you know, are invested. You know, you're up, you're down. You know, you're... But uh, I think perspective is really, really important for, for fans. Uh, put, put it all in perspective that, like, those guys, you know, they're, tried, they're busting their ass. They might not make with shots one day. You know, they might, and, oh, you know, well, you know, 
you know, NIL, we're paying them all that money. Well, you know, you trust paying them money. All right, but but it's hard. And, you know, same thing with the coaches. Uh, it's great you guys are supported. It's great you have that student group. Uh, you know, be consistent. Like, uh, you know, like ownership is a really important thing. Uh, it really is. And, like, it's part of your college experience, which I think is really good that you guys are invested in that. Because in the end, through all this, maybe hopefully you guys are going to get a chance to develop some relationships, you know, and then this sounds like uh, what I, t- I tell my teams all the time. Find someone that can mentor you, whether whatever you're going to do, because it's always ha- good to have someone who's going to stand beside you and help you navigate like what comes after Alabama, what comes after Alabama. Help mentor you. Find a mentor that will mentor you and not ask for anything in return. And then the only thing I would say is when you get to that place, you mentor someone else without asking for anything in return. And that's the way we find a way to basically try to fix all the bullshit that goes on in our world where we, we treat each other with a little bit of more respect and humanity and, and care for each other a little bit more. And if we always try to each and every day try to do something for someone else and that becomes an epidemic, like what you guys are trying to do in a positive way, that's a good thing. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. I'm going to hang up now, guys, because you guys have important <laughs> stuff to talk about. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Seth. Right. Thank you very much. Have a Thank good you. one. All right. All right. That was uh, Seth Greenberg of ESPN. That was a great time. Really enjoyed that. Awesome. Uh, we can get into a little bit of kind of what he talked about. Um, where, where do we want to start? We're going to start with the, with, the, with the scrimmage. We'll start with the scrimmage. Yeah. I mean, he said he said take zero stock into the scrimmage and I totally agree with that I mean I wanted to get his thoughts first but I mean like I mean I wrote about it like Alabama's experimenting with different lineups teams are experimenting with lineups they're playing players who are fouled out like it's not a real game it's just an opportunity to like be able to get looks so I think he's totally right obviously in saying that like don't panic and and lose your minds that Alabama like blew a lead lost a couple exhibition games um, I think, if anything, I, I really like that Alabama gets to have the uh, coachable experience of being on the road up 19 and just blowing it. And like uh, like Seth said, like being able to um, – like they lose their defensive intensity because shots aren't falling. Like, like that's a very real and mental part of basketball that is like one of the most important things and things that can be very frequent is like – as a young, not a young team, but a new team that's like new together, they have to learn that whenever shots aren't falling, they still have to like sit to stance and be able to sit down and get stops. Um, like that is a coachable moment that Oates wouldn't really get if Alabama went in there and just waxed them, you know? And so like, I, I think there are some positives, like there are some good things to take away from that, from a coaching perspective on what you want a team to be. Um, those are some of my thoughts. What do y'all got? Yeah, I mean, also he hinted at Sam Walters being a major player for this Alabama team too. I mean, you look at the TCU game, twenty what twenty nine points, and then versus Wake Forest, thirteen. He shot eleven for eighteen from three in those games combined. I mean, if you get Walters coming off the bench to be that again that X factor that we kind of talked about last episode, come off the bench and maybe even earn a starting role at some point, that can be that shooter for you. That it's just so invaluable to Alabama. And for Walters, games like this are important. You can. You know, it's more high major experiences. Again, Alabama starts off with a little bit of an easier slate. If you can get Walters into some of these big games like TCU, like Wake Forest, where he's playing high major, 
opponents and being able to do like this. That is a very, very encouraging sign for Alabama in the future and for Sam Walters as the X factor for this Alabama team is potentially is like a big bench guy coming off the bench. And like we said, maybe even a starter at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just cool to get to talk to talk to Seth and uh, hear about his thoughts. And I think it was interesting, like how high of a respect that he has for Nate Oates and like the whole process. Yeah. Like I, we, like we see it. And I, I mean, I, I think we're right in saying that, Coach Oates is one of the best in the country and has built something special and is continuing to build it. Um, but from a guy that's in and out of programs all the time, to be able to hear him talk like with a lot of respect for what they do analytically, defensively, recruiting wise, I, I don't know. That, that's just really impressive. Like that's that's really cool to to hear that from um, the national ends. But you know, scrimmage wise, I, I think it is what it is. Like I, I'm excited that we scored 52 points in the first half. It doesn't really mean that much, but it's interesting. Like, I think it's, you know, we kind of see who's going to be able to be talented. Um, I thought his commentary on Ryland was interesting because I, I think one of the biggest really only knocks on Ryland last year was that at times he did seem, like, hesitant and, like, wouldn't go yeah. and take it. But games that he did, like, closed out the Auburn game on the road by himself. Like, I had other games where he shot really, really well. And he took control. So if we – I think it may take him a little prodding to to get to the point of being able to take control and dominate. Um, but I hope he's able to get there because I think he's, I mean, we've seen his talents. So we're, we're big Ryland Griffin supporters on this podcast. We're Ryland Griffin yeah. truthers have been since the first shot signs of light. Uh, but, you know, overall in the, the results of the scrimmages is what it is. Probably had some scripted subs, like just doing this and doing things out of habit. Uh, just try and, I don't know, fact-finding mission. So I'm excited to see, yeah. see a real team, real strategy, have everybody playing. Uh, had a lot of Mark Sears' respect, like, which, uh, again, something yeah. you know we talked about. But, again, to hear him say that and focus in, uh, that, was, that was really cool. Heart and soul. Like that yeah. extension of the coaching staff. I really yeah. liked those two phrases because yeah. I think that really is, like, what Mark Sears is going to embody for this team because, like, I feel like Mark Sears isn't getting the respect that he deserves from the fan base necessarily because yes. of his struggles at the end of last year. Um, Cause obviously like he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with his three point shot for the last like month of the season. Um, yeah. I always wondered how, like, I wondered why that was. And I also wondered that that got me thinking about how, like maybe some of the events that transpired last season affected non Brandon Miller parties. Um, uh, on the team um at, obviously we don't know if that had anything to do with it but we do know that he was in a slump towards the latter half of the season um and i think people forget how meaningful he was to that team like people forget that mark sears scored 26 points on the road in bud walton arena in a win over arkansas like they forget that he had like 20 something in that like quadruple overtime win over north carolina um and i think with him being the best returning player and also possibly the best player, like he is that embodiment of what the coaching staff wants Alabama to be. And he is the guy that the coaching staff is going to go to, to be able to like be the leader, be the veteran that instills that in the program. Um, so I, I think he's very important. I think he might potentially be overlooked because it's fun to think about the shiny new pieces like 
Estrada and Nelson and all of those guys. But I I, I really respected uh, Seth's appreciation for him coming from a coach's perspective. Right. Yeah, and I think one thing you have to consider with Sears at the end of last year, too, is the grind of an SEC schedule towards the end is way different than one of the, the max schedule that he had at Ohio. I mean, that, that's – you can put it into words. It's it's really hard to just be able to adjust on the fly like that when you're playing teams like Arkansas yeah. who's going to beat you up physically or any of those other SEC schools like Auburn. And for Sears, I think that may have – plus along with all the other things that was happening off the court with Alabama at that time, I think that probably had a little bit of a factor with Sears there. But I think Sears is going to be one of the better players in the SEC this year. I, I personally think he either – I think he's a top three scorer for Alabama this year. It wouldn't shock me if he leads Alabama in scoring. He's a very talented guard. It's really crafty. He's going to be the kind of, the, like you said, the heart and soul of this team. So, again, I, I think Sears is um, just every bit of a SEC, like all-SEC type player. And um, I think Alabama fans should be excited from, from Sears this year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, another thing that I thought was um, interesting – I mean, you touched on Sam Walters, but the fact that, like, he had some back downs um, that, like, stood out to him that impressed him. We saw some clips of it in uh, on, on the Twitter accounts, uh, like, highlights from the TCU game. Um, yeah. He got, like, a couple and ones. Um, that's an aspect of his game that I wasn't really thinking about necessarily because of, like, how skinny he is and how, like, <laughs> like he like, he just looks like he has, like, a frail body type. He doesn't look like the guy that's going to go inside and like like bang with a, a, a big man to be able to get a bucket inside. Um, that's encouraging for him thinking about his all-around offensive game. Um, I think th- the fact that he can do that, he can probably put the ball in the deck a little bit and be able to do that, and he can shoot the three the way that he can, um, tells me that he there are a lot of things that he can do to be able to um, contribute on the offensive end. Very excited to see him. Absolutely. I thought it was cool to hear too, like with, you know, obviously scouts are going to be at games, um, but hearing the scout from the Bucks already talking about Sam Walters, I mean, that's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Like, I'm talking about it in respect. I, I don't think, you know, I think when we did a roster preview or something of the like towards the end of last season um, and revolving recruiting, like he wasn't, Sam was on our, probably going to be here another year. And, and I mean, he very well still may, but maybe not draw a lot of NBA attention, but already kind of on the, on the radar of scouts. I mean, that's, that's good for him and that's good for the program overall for any other wings out there that are monitoring their current commitment. It's just something to, something to keep in, in check. And realize. Yeah. One thing I liked that he touched on was how much of a defensive team that Alabama is and how much NATO tries to instill within this program of defense, yeah. defense, defense. And I think that's something that gets overlooked. Obviously, Alabama is known as this offensive juggernaut with people like Brandon Miller last year or Javon Quinterly and all the big names. But defensively, Alabama is what makes their bread and butter is their defense. That's what makes Alabama an elite team, an elite program. And I like that Seth was able to just kind of touch on that a little bit. And, Blake, you touched on this in your article from the takeaways from the, the scrimmage. Alabama's defense didn't hasn't looked great. There may be a little bit of a concern there. But what do you guys think the synopsis for this defense looks like and uh, what kind of the rotation there and um, some of the names that you think could step up? I mean, he mentioned – Seth mentioned how rim protection is going to be a little bit of an issue, obviously with the loss of Charles Bediaco, Um, because, like, there's Pringle, who Seth said needs to be better just in general, um, which from what we saw last year, like, we knew that for Alabama to get where they want to be defensively, he's going to have to take a step forward. Um, then there's Grant Nelson, 
Muhammad Wagi, I think, is going to be very important in terms of having an extra body down low and rim protection. Um, so I think that is probably going to be the biggest weakness from the – I obviously, we didn't watch the games, but from the box scores that we saw, um, they had a, a difficult time guarding without fouling. A lot of fouls, a lot of free throws. Um, I'm blanking on the name of Wake Forest's leading scorer, um, the one that had 38. But 16 of his points Mildred. were yeah. – Yeah, Mildred. 16 of his points were free throws. He was 16 of 18 from the free throw line. Um, it just sounds like Scottie Pippen or Moses Moody or pick your million free throws against Alabama. Um, Wendell Green, you know, you pick the name. Um, yeah. That That's what it felt like was happening. And whether – we don't know the context of the game, so that we don't know if that was lazy perimeter defense, like him blowing by people and just like – like swinging arms at him. We don't know if that was him going up for layups and getting fouled. I don't know. But they're going to have to be able to guard without fouling if they're going to want to compete in the SEC. Um, I think I think this team has the physical tools to be a good defensive team. There's a lot of length. There's a lot of athleticism. There may not be the rim protector, but also there are guards that I think can defend. I think Latrell Wrightsell can defend. I think from the bits of practice that I've seen, Mark Sears looks like a much more active defender. I think Estrada is a little long for a guard. He can defend. You have Rylan Griffin, guys like that. It's just about, again, like Seth said, like trust things that help you gel together as a good team defense. Um, and I think that's the the thing we're going to have to watch as this uh, – as the season starts and continues on um, as the defense tries to, to mold and gel into a, a really good unit. Yeah. I think on the, the defensive note of like, I think probably immediate I mean, within five seasons, like this is notes oh, fifth season. We don't have that many options to think back of and two of them have won championships. So they're kind of on their own, but I think the immediate reaction from fans will probably be to say like hearing a lot of offense, not as much defense would be think, two years ago's team. And I, I don't think on that, this team is deeper than that team was uh, This team has more length, yeah. more physical gifts. Like we will not end up in the same spot. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of new to come and like things might look a little different and work a little different um, at the start, but ultimately like Oats system will come into play. And I think this team will win a lot of games because of that. And it just may, it may take a little bit of like, wow, we might not be, like might play a close game to Ohio State and Destin, and the immediate red flags and panic will go up, and it just, it's it's gonna take time. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah I mean, it, if we're middle of like early February, and this is happening. Like obviously, that's a different conversation. Yeah, and, and this team seems different from 2022 for a number of reasons. One, length. That team in 2022 was starting like Jawan Gary at the four or something. Right, our king, our king, Juwan Gary, our king, Juwan, like six six, yeah. Juwan Gary was starting at the four. Obviously, you had seven footer, Chuck, but he was a freshman. Yeah. Um, he was not yet and, angry, Chuck. No, he wasn't yet. He wasn't like really that good as a freshman. He was good, but he wasn't like at all what he was last year. Um, so you, you didn't have like the length necessarily. I mean, off the bench, you really only brought two or three or four guys like you, you didn't have a super deep team so i think both of those swing in favor of this 2024 edition of of the team um you have what seems to be 
well, it's an older team. It's a scrappier team, I think. Mm-hmm. You have guys that, like, want to defend harder than, say, like, Jaden Shackelford, you know. Um, so, like, I, I – the surface-level comparisons are, like – I think just like overstated fears of like Alabama fans and like right. what they are praying that this team does not become because while that was a good team, like it was an objectively good basketball team, it was a 60. Um, they underperformed in a lot of areas. Um, I don't necessarily see that out of out of this team. They haven't I played agree. a game yet, so I don't really know. But like, right? Well, we know I, it feels like there's better attitudes. Yeah. yeah, I think this year is not this year's culture appears to be really good. I, I think two years ago was a little bit of a different story that I think everybody that would be listening to this is probably well aware of. Yeah, yeah so somebody the somebody that I trust told me that uh, Nate Oates feels like this is the most one of, if not the most blue collar team that he's ever had. Um, so, so that's a, a positive. One other thing I wanted to touch on from like players that Seth was mentioning from the scrimmage, uh, Jaron Stevenson was, uh, he said he was disappointed with Stevenson. And then he talked about how Oates can use that. And I think that's really important um, because it's a game that doesn't count. And doesn't so matter. if Jaron Stevenson goes out there and he jacks up a bad shot and then gives lazy effort on the defensive end 15 seconds later, Oates can yank him and be like, this is a learning opportunity. Like you can't do that for, and we're like, we're not going to win basketball games. We're not going to play winning basketball when you do that. And I don't know if that's exactly what happened. That's just like the scenario that you described. So like Oates can be like, Jaron, you, I know you're a senior, you're, you're technically a senior in high school, like you're 18. That can't happen for us to be able to play winning basketball. So you need to do this differently. And because of that, you can't play much this game because I have to play guys that I trust and that can build. And that's like, it's going to be a learning curve for him too. Like uh, Rostein tweeted that he's been impressive in camp and like everything I think we have all heard confirms that. Um, but being on the court in a game is a little different. And so uh, there are just so many ways that scrimmages and even scrimmage losses can be used um to better a team ways that they can be coached all those different things where like Seth was saying, like the, the loss doesn't matter. Like the win loss in a scrimmage just doesn't matter. And it's so funny to like look on Twitter and see like fan bases going at each other about scrimmage results. And it's just so like, what are we doing? (laughs) I think the, the one, the whole scrimmage thing, of course it was Arkansas that just really got me of like, Oh my gosh, we sold out our charity exhibition against. That's Purdue. awesome. I hope everyone does that. Yeah, everyone like, should have more charity exhibitions and play teams yeah. like Purdue and sell them out. Yes, like it's not I, indicative of your season. No, it's also not indicative of like a fan base. It's like if anybody held, like holds a massive basketball game at a time where basketball does not normally happen yet, it's going to be full. Like that's just that's how it is. Also, they don't have a football team to support right now. So correct, they are two and six, I believe. Yeah. So. It's not. I guess they had a bye week. and needed it. Uh, yeah. No. I. The the culture around secret scrimmages and exhibitions is very deeply funny. Uh, and I they can't should imagine play more of the Arkansas Purdue's and the Tennessee yeah. Michigan states. Like those should happen more. Uh, yeah. 
and it's cool that Alabama went and played one on the road. Like I think that's awesome. I think Absolutely. that might that might signal that next year they're going to have one at home. I hope Nate schedules like Duke or something. Let's, like, let's get Cooper Flag in here. Like oh my gosh, he'll Mar- Marquise Mays is going to Cooper Flag. He will. Yeah, yeah he will. <laughs> Marquise Mays is favorite. Marquise Mays, if this somehow makes it to you, I we need to have a conversation. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have a conversation. I. Someone's Make, misliking. Give me a Duke at Coleman Coliseum charity exhibition next Absolutely. year. I, I would be back in here for it. We would be there. Absolutely. It'd be awesome. It would be it awesome. Would be. But yeah, I think uh, I think that might wrap it up for um, today's episode. Um, do we have anything else? Or, or is that that'll wrap up today's episode? I don't know if we're gonna have another episode before the season starts. If we don't, we will have season starts in like six days, set five days. So like, yeah. we probably won't. This is probably the last episode before the season starts. I assume we're all picking Morehead State to win the game. That's why we didn't really get into super big breakdowns about that. Right. Correct. Um, yeah. Alabama's gonna beat Morehead State. Yeah. If I'm wrong, you can post this everywhere. That's fine. Yeah. Um. We will be back after Moorhead State um, to talk about the first game, get reactions from all of that. Um, but, yeah, that uh, that's going to do it for today. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, uh, checking out the episode. Um, we'll catch you guys next time.